0: Hello and welcome to NTD News today, I'm Evelyn Lee and for Kevin Hogan for the day. Here are our top stories. More allegations against the FBI are coming out. One of the journalists involved in releasing the Twitter files is alleging a scheme to suppress legitimate information. House committee assignments at the center of controversy yesterday. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is following through on his promise to shuffle things up. TikTok has been banned on federal government devices, while over 25 states have also taken measures against the video app. However, some say more needs to be done. A popular tech news outlet has been publishing articles generated by artificial intelligence. This is sparking concerns that AI will eliminate jobs for writers and create inaccurate information and COVID's impact in China, what's really going on there. The official data is regarded as untrustworthy, but we'll bring you some other clues that shed light on the situation. The U.S. government seeks to outlaw TikTok. President Joe Biden signed legislation in December banning federal employees from using the video app on government devices. However, obstacles still remain. Entity's Daniel Monaghan has more.
1: More than 25 states have also taken measures against TikTok, but some believe that these measures are not enough. This company should be banned. I don't know why they're allowed to operate in the United States. They contend that it could be used to spy on Americans. FCC Commissioner Brendan Carr on Fox News.
2: The funny dance memes and video are simply the sheep's clothing. Underneath, it's a sophisticated surveillance app
1: The Biden administration has reportedly been looking into ways to split the app off from Chinese owner ByteDance while the departments of justice and defense are advocating for a forced sale of TikTok's US operations due to national security concerns You have
3: hundreds of employees with it appears access to US user data that may very well be members of the Chinese Communist Party James
1: Andrew Lewis, a director at the Center for Strategic and International Studies, says the. US government does not have the authority to ban speech. He noted that any attempt to restrict Americans access to TikTok would not withstand a court challenge. However, law professor Fred Kate says the. US government has vast powers if it believes a company is threatening national security. FBI director Christopher Wray, Ray It's apparent. Company is controlled
2: by the Chinese government.
1: The government does have the authority to compel Apple and Google to remove the app.
2: And I said that Apple and Google should kick them out of the App Store based on those undisclosed data flows alone.
1: However, this step would have no effect on the 100 million Americans who already have the app on their phone. TikTok accumulates massive amounts of personal data. CIA Director William Burns reacts to that on PBS.
4: I think it's a genuine concern, I think, for the U.S. government.
1: The average American viewer spends 80 minutes per day on TikTok, which is more than the time spent on Facebook and Instagram combined. Daniel Monahan, NTD News.
0: One of the journalists involved in releasing the so-called Twitter files is sharing what he learned about the FBI. He wrote an op-ed detailing his findings.
3: Journalist Michael Schellenberger is one of a few who worked with Elon Musk in releasing the so-called Twitter files. On Wednesday, Fox News released Schellenberger's op-ed titled, Elon Musk chose us to report on the Twitter files. Here are the disturbing things I learned about the FBI. Schellenberger says he discovered that the FBI and intelligence community discredited factual information about Hunter Biden's foreign business dealings, both after and before the New York Post revealed them to the world in October 2020. He says in December of 2019, the FBI issued a subpoena for Hunter Biden's laptop and then picked it up at a repair shop in Delaware. In December, Schellenberger tweeted that it would have only taken a few hours for the FBI to confirm that the laptop belonged to Hunter Biden, saying it only took a few days for a journalist. According to Schellenberger, the FBI did nothing to investigate the many signs of criminal activity revealed by emails and other documents on the laptop. Months later, Rudy Giuliani received a copy of the laptop and brought it to the New York Post. Then in October, Hunter Biden and his lawyer learned that the New York Post was planning to run the laptop story. On that same day, just two hours later, the FBI reportedly sent 10 documents to Twitter's then head of site integrity, Yoel Roth. When the Post published the article the next day, it was censored by Twitter and other social media companies almost right away. The FBI reportedly kept warning Twitter and Facebook of Russian hack and leak campaigns. Schellenberger writes that an FBI agent admitted those warnings weren't based on any new findings. Through our investigations, we did not see any similar competing intrusions to what had happened in 2016. Schellenberger also writes that a big number of former agents started to work for Twitter. As of 2020, there were so many former FBI employees, BU alumni, working at Twitter that they had created their own private Slack channel and a crib sheet to onboard new FBI arrivals. After the Twitter files came out, Representative Jim Jordan said he was concerned about the government running a misinformation operation on Americans. NTD reached out to the FBI for comment on Schellenberger's op-ed, but did not hear back before broadcast.
0: House committee assignments are at the center of some controversy this week. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is following through on his promises. He vowed to remove some Democrats and assign some Republicans if the GOP took control of the House. and NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more on the shuffling of responsibility.
2: Republican Representatives Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia and Paul Gosar of Arizona were assigned to committees on Tuesday. This, after being ousted from their committees by Democrats in 2021, for remarks they made on social media. Green was placed on the Homeland Security Committee. It has jurisdiction over the border. It could play a role in impeaching Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Gosar got a seat on the Committee on Natural Resources, where he previously served. Both Green and Gosar have also been assigned to the Oversight and Accountability Committee. It's expected to investigate the Biden administration. Embattled freshman representative George Santos of New York has been awarded seats on two low-level committees. Santos is at the heart of recent controversy in the House for lying on his resume. He has ignored calls from both sides of the aisle to resign.
5: It's clear to me that he is a complete and total fraud and is not qualified to serve in the United States House of Representatives.
2: Congressman Byron Donalds, who sits on the steering committee that names members to their spots, defended Santos's installation.
5: There have been
4: members whose issues have come up in the past. They were allowed to be on their committees, be sat on committees. And then the legal process takes hold and we make adjustments.
2: The selections still have to be approved by the full House GOP conference. McCarthy has confirmed plans to remove representatives Adam Schiff, Ilhan Omar, and Eric Swalwell from their committees. The newly elected House Speaker says since Swalwell can't even get security clearance in the private sector, why should he have government clearance?
3: If you got the briefing I got from the FBI, you wouldn't have Swalwell on any committee.
2: McCarthy asked reporters why they were questioning him about Santos, but not Swalwell.
3: You're going to tell me there's 200 other Democrats that couldn't fill that slot, but they kept him on it? The only way that they even knew it came forward is when they went to nominate him to the intel committee, and then the FBI came and told the leadership then, he's got a problem.
2: Swalwell allegedly had a relationship with a suspected spy from the Chinese Communist Party. He says he didn't share classified information and cut ties with her after being alerted by the FBI. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News.
0: Now Let's take a closer look at the border. The number of migrants crossing the Darien Gap has nearly doubled from the year before. That's according to the International Organization for Migration. The area lies between Colombia and Panama. It's estimated that close to 250,000 migrants made the treacherous crossing on their way north in 2022. Panama's data says the number was around 130,000 migrants in 2021 and that migrants were mostly Haitian then. Now, Venezuelans are dominating the flow, accounting for more than 150,000 crossings last year.
6: It's a record for 2022. Only Venezuelans were 150,000 during a year only, which is close to the total in 2021. It was a drastic change, almost immediate. All from countries where situations are critical due to several reasons.
0: The U.S. has recently been trying to make the journey less appealing. The Biden administration said it would manage the surge in Venezuelans crossing the border with a new program. It will now accept up to 24,000 Venezuelan migrants at U.S. airports and they have to pre-register through a government website. Those who cross the border illegally will be sent back to Mexico. And speaking of immigration, the Supreme Court is hearing a case about a transgender illegal immigrant from Guatemala. At issue is a procedural detail. The U.S. government tried to deport Leon Santos-Zacharia, a Guatemalan citizen who was born male but identifies as a woman. Santos-Zacharia entered the United States illegally at least three times in the past. The latest was in 2018. Santos-Zacharia applied for sanctuary and delayed deportation but the government found no possibility of future persecution in Guatemala. After illegal back and forth, the illegal immigrant took it to a federal court of appeals, but non-citizens may have to petition the Board of Immigration Appeals before escalating the conflict. After the Supreme Court took up the matter, neither the petitioner's sexual orientation nor gender identity were discussed. Instead, the hearing focused on the procedural law issue. The Supreme Court is expected to rule on the case by June. And Mexican police raided the suspected property of a criminal group connected with murders in the region. There, they found what looks to be the remains of victims. Video released by the Mexican state government shows police and forensic experts excavating inside a building. An official said the remains found are presumed to be of human origin. The raid followed the arrest of nine suspected members of a criminal group from the western state of Jalisco. Authorities said these people may have connections with multiple murders and a kidnapping case. Investigation is still ongoing and the number of potential victims hasn't been determined. Coming up, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis announces new legislation. The aim is to permanently protect Floridians against COVID vaccine mandates, mask requirements and more. We have that and more just after this break. Will artificial intelligence be writing news articles in the future? A popular tech news outlet was recently found to have published articles written by AI. Here are the details.
6: Popular tech news outlet CNET was recently outed for publishing articles generated by AI. Online marketer and authority hacker co-founder Gail Brayton first made the discovery and posted it to Twitter earlier this month. Brayton said CNET started experimenting with AI articles in early November of last year. The articles are about personal finance, and Brayton reported that CNET has published about 75 such articles so far. CNET didn't make any prior public announcement or disclosure to its readers about the use of AI. Only when readers click on the byline do they see that the article was actually AI-generated. A drop-down description reads, This article was assisted by an AI engine and reviewed, fact-checked, and edited by our editorial staff. According to Futurism.com, the news sparked outrage and concern. This is mostly over the fear that AI-generated journalism could potentially eliminate work for entry-level writers and produce inaccurate information. A writer on Crackberry.com wrote, It was a job like that that got me into this position today. If that first step on the ladder becomes a robot, how is anybody supposed to follow in my footsteps? The criticism led to CNET's editor-in-chief, Connie Guillermo, to respond with an explanation. The platform admitted that starting in November 2022, it decided to do an experiment to see, quote, if there's a pragmatic use case for an AI assist on basic explainers around financial services.
0: Moving on to politics, Kentucky might do away with capital punishment. A bipartisan bill proposed in the state legislature would eliminate the death penalty and replace it with life imprisonment without parole. Currently, 24 states have the death penalty, three have moratoriums preventing it from being used, and 23 states plus the District of Columbia have outlawed it. According to the Kentucky Department of Corrections website, 26 people are currently on death row in the state, including seven were sentenced in the 1980s, but the state has paused execution since 2010. Governor Andy Bashir told an ABC affiliate that some crimes merit the existence of the death penalty. The governor indicated that life in prison is costly. Lawmakers are also weighing factors like mental illness and the risk of wrongful convictions. In Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis announced a new plan yesterday. It will make protections against coercive biomedical policies permanent. And today's Daniel Monaghan has more.
5: Being in the free state of Florida did not happen by accident. The
1: legislation will prohibit COVID vaccination passports and any COVID mask requirements. It will also bar all discrimination based on vaccination or booster status, including for schools.
5: You still have universities that are forcing these students to get these booster shots, even though there have been studies showing they're at more risk from negative effects of the shot than they are from COVID itself at that age. And so...
1: The governor discussed the past battles Florida had to wage to preserve such freedoms, saying it required standing up to major institutions in the society, the medical establishment, what he called the legacy media, and even
5: the president of the United States who together were working to impose a biomedical security state on society. They sought to marginalize people who declined COVID jabs by using things like vaccine passports. They sought to prevent people from being able to earn a living if they declined the jab through the Biden employer mandate.
1: He added that Florida intends to protect the right of medical practitioners to be able to speak the truth
5: and they sought to silence medical practitioners who followed the evidence and back the science over the narrative.
1: DeSantis was joined by Florida Surgeon General Joseph Ladapo. Is all of these
5: crazy ideas whether it's whether it's the lockdowns or the or the mask mandates, or the vaccine mandates, or the you can't have your, your you can't cook with gas, you can't use fire, whatever it is, right? It's all these crazy ideas, and, and then and Governor DeSantis gets to
1: say, no, that doesn't make sense. Latipo expressed gratitude that there is a lot of consensus around the new legislation to, quote, codify more common sense in
5: Florida. There's just a lot of, there's a lot of lunacy out there, and having a, uh, a, a place of just common sense and sensibility, I, I know that that is refreshing to a lot of people. He compared that to
1: California and Assembly Bill 2098. Governor Gavin Newsom signed that legislation, which punishes the dissemination of so-called misinformation related to COVID-19. That means medical practitioners could lose their licenses for opinions not in line with the current medical establishment. Daniel Monahan, NTD News.
0: And over in California, a sheriff offers a $10,000 reward after a family was murdered on Monday. Six people were killed, including a 17-year-old girl and her 10-month-old son.
4: It's shocking for the nation. We believe that the 16 year old teenage mother and her small infant actually was fleeing and running from the scene. What we have since learned through forensics, that it was clear that the shooters stood over the top of the 16 year old mother and fired rounds into her head. The 10 month old infant also suffered from the same attack.
0: Police later revised the teen's age to 17. Also among the victims were a 72-year-old grandmother, two men and a woman. The sheriff described the case as deliberate, intentional and horrific. The shooting occurred early Monday morning. Police recently conducted a drug-related search at the same house. Investigators believe a gang or drug cartel targeted the family. The sheriff said police are looking for at least two suspects. But their identities haven't been confirmed. The $10,000 reward is for any information that moves the investigation forward. And in related news, federal prosecutors are not seeking the death penalty for a Walmart shooting suspect. The Justice Department under Biden has sent mixed signals on capital punishment. 24-year-old Patrick Crucius is accused of targeting Mexicans at a West Texas Walmart in 2019. In total, 23 people died and dozens were wounded. In federal court, he's charged with hate crimes and firearms violations. Federal prosecutors did not explain why they aren't seeking the death penalty. The Justice Department has sent mixed signals on policies regarding the federal death penalty. And President Biden pledged to abolish it during his presidential campaign. In state court, the suspect is charged with capital murder. And he could still face the death penalty if convicted. He has pleaded not guilty. Arrest warrant says he surrendered to police after the attack, saying, I am the shooter, and that he was targeting Mexicans. His case is set for trial in federal courts in January 2024. Over in Hawaii, the state puts forward a plan to make preschool available to all three- and four-year-olds by 2032. If successful, it would put Hawaii in a rare group of states providing pre-K education to most families.
7: But we also have to realize that many of our young families leave the islands because they can't afford to have their children in preschool or, or daycare. And so I'm really excited about this next step that we're taking.
4: People shouldn't have the anguish just for their kids to have a chance for a great start in life. The ALICE report just released a few years back said that the highest car drivers, particularly for those struggling families, was in fact daycare. And so providing these high-quality early learning opportunities for these families helps the financial weight lifted off of their shoulders.
0: Hawaii's leaders have aspired to universal pre-K for decades but have found it elusive. A recent analysis found the state was moving so slowly toward that goal that it would have taken 47 years to build all the public preschool capacity Hawaii needed. The lieutenant governor said only half of Hawaii's 35,000 three- and four-year-olds attend preschool, either by paying expensive tuition for private schools or obtaining one of the few spots in publicly funded pre-K programs. The state estimates there are about 9,200 children whose parents want to send them to preschool but aren't able to. The state will draw on $200 million set aside by the legislature to build preschool facilities. The Chinese Lunar New Year is approaching, but with a lack of joy. As many families mourn their loved ones lost to COVID 19. In the blue waters and of the South- a Chinese warship spotted deep in the South Pacific. What does the sighting say about Beijing's latest military moves? We'll have the details when we return. Good to have you back. We're continuing with the COVID crisis in China. What exactly is going on? Official government COVID numbers and death tolls are generally dismissed. So how is a true picture of the situation established? NTD's Tiffany Meyer reports.
7: It's unclear how much of a toll the COVID-19 pandemic has on China's population. That's due to what many call a lack of transparency on data coming out of China. But some unusual numbers have brought the true scale of the pandemic's death toll under suspicion. One example came in 2020, when China's biggest cell phone carriers reported losing 21 million subscriptions. That's in just the first two months of that year when the pandemic first hit China. In contrast, users increased during the same period of time in 2017, 2018, and 2019. The sharp decline over the span of two months is unusual, as Chinese citizens use their phones for pretty much everything. From cashless payments to settling rent and transportation costs, some users do have multiple cell phone accounts, but it's shy of explaining the 21 million number. The current outbreak in China is also considered heavily underreported. Over the weekend, a resident in China disclosed on social media that all four of his grandparents, as well as his mother and father, had all passed away. Being an only child, he explained he's now alone. Looking at another clip, last week a Shanghai resident took video of caskets lining the city streets, stretching for several miles. In China, some doctors are saying they've been instructed on how to certify COVID-19 deaths. Amid what some experts are calling a peak of Beijing's COVID-19 wave, hospitals are posting out a notice. Citing a directive from China's National Health Commission, the post says doctors should try not to list COVID-19 on death certificates. Instead, they must report related cases to their superiors for inspection by authorities. That's before they can decide on what cause of death to confirm on the certificates. Several doctors in other Chinese hospitals said they received similar instructions, either verbally or via hospital policy announcements. A doctor from Shanghai shared an article online earlier this month. In it, he said he was asked to change the cause of death on a certificate from COVID-19 to something else. He explained he didn't want to alter it in front of the patient's family and started questioning the official directive on COVID-19 deaths. And over in California, a now U.S. resident from China says he's endured the death of multiple family members. All of them died during the current virus surge in Beijing. He said his grandmother and uncle-in-law had tested positive for COVID-19 before they died. Well, his father, father father-in-law and uncle died of heart disease, asthma and lung infection. None of them were entered into China's official COVID-19 death count.
0: The Chinese New Year is coming this weekend and tens of millions of Chinese will travel to their hometowns to be with their families. However, many will do so after a period of mourning for relatives that have passed away during the recent COVID-19 wave.
8: Lunar New Year is meant to be a happy time for Chinese families, but this year for Zhang and so many others like him across the country, it will be a much more sombre affair. For the 66-year-old Beijing resident has lost three of his close relatives and a close family friend to COVID-19, All passed away from the disease after the country relaxed its zero COVID policy. One of them, an aunt, was infected whilst being treated in a Beijing hospital for another long-term illness.
9: The hospital tried to move her from one uh, building to another one and two days later she passed away. Uh, the, on her death certificate, the cause of death is described as the heart failure.
8: By official definitions, that doesn't count as a COVID-related death. The lifting of restrictions in China after widespread protests against them in November has overwhelmed hospitals and funeral homes across the country and dampened the mood for festivities.
9: There's no holiday mood. Uh, people are suffering. People are so anxious.
10: And uh, people going to drugstores, um, medical facilities, the hospital, the clinics, try as hard as they can to get what they need. That is the reality. And uh, yeah, this is sad.
8: After global criticism of its coronavirus data, China on January 14th revealed nearly 60,000 people had died in hospital since it abandoned zero Covid in early December. But health experts say that likely doesn't count many people dying at home, especially in rural areas where there's weaker medical systems. The worry is that mass migration for Lunar New Year will bring another surge in cases, as hundreds of millions of Chinese return to small towns and rural villages from urban areas. State media has been filled with stories of rural hospitals and clinics bolstering supplies of drugs and equipment, while various modeling groups predict the reopening could result in as many as 2.1 million deaths from the virus, accounting for a probable surge in cases over the Lunar new Year holidays.
0: A Chinese warship reaching deep into the South Pacific. What does the sighting say about Beijing's military capability and its global ambitions? NTD spoke to Captain James Flannell about what's happening. He's a former Director of Intelligence for the U.S. Pacific Fleet. NTD's Juliet Song has more on that.
11: In the blue waters of the South Pacific, the French military spotted a Chinese warship. This warship appeared near French Polynesia on December 22nd last year, a group of islands in the South Pacific Ocean. A week later, the French military again snapped photos of a Chinese warship, this time near New Caledonia, a French territory in the Southwest Pacific, over 700 miles east of Australia. It's unclear if it's the same warship that emerged earlier. But Captain now, James Fennell is the former director of intelligence and information operations for the U.S. Pacific Fleet. He said having this warship out in the South Pacific demonstrates how China is pushing its military modernization forward.
4: That the, the PLA uh, leadership feels confident that their platforms are able to transit uh, long distances.
11: What's unusual about this warship is that by the time it was spotted, it was over 6,000 miles away from its home base. That's beyond the range a missile destroyer of this scale could sustain without a refueling ship following behind.
4: Their ships have the capacity uh, to transit these long distances, and I think that's something that also Americans should understand is that we hear conflicting reports from so-called experts who Talk about the inferiority of PLA Navy warships and that they don't have long range. And that's actually not true.
11: But Fennell said there's another possibility.
4: Their uh, diplomatic efforts in establishing relations and improved relations with a number of nations in the South Pacific has enabled them to be able to transit out there without a, a, an oiler that would go with them to ensure that they always had fuel.
11: For example, the president of the Philippines visited Chinese leader Xi Jinping last week. The two countries published a joint statement pledging to boost cooperation.
4: So it's entirely possible that there was a port call by a Chinese warship in somewhere in the Philippines. And as I mentioned previously, it's possible also that they could have stopped uh, somewhere else along the way, Vanuatu, uh, Kiribati. Probably not Kiribati because they don't have a lot of resources there, but the Solomons is also one.
11: Beijing has been competing for CLOT in the South Pacific. Several countries there have cut off diplomatic relations with Taiwan and recognized Beijing instead. The Solomon Islands is one of them. The same day the French military saw the Chinese warship near New Caledonia, a Chinese aircraft carrier group edged close to Guam. That's according to Beijing's official mouthpiece Global Times. The island of Guam is a U.S. territory and the site of a major military base. It's home to Air Force and naval facilities. It's also a critical hub for submarine communications cables between the western U.S., Hawaii, Australia, and Asia.
4: So I think what we're seeing now is these are indicators of the PLA Navy resuming its pursuit, and its strategic trend line of becoming a global naval force.
11: He noted that having a global naval force is critical for Beijing's global economic outreach.
4: Having a b- big navy uh, that can be able to ensure that their ability to transport goods and services across the, the the oceans of the world to extend this Belt and Road initiative that extends China's economic power to assure that they have access to these resources is the main main goal. <inaudible>
11: now said the U.S. needs to recognize the threat of a rising Chinese military. For decades, Washington has adopted a policy of engagement.
4: But that's a failure to understand the Chinese Communist Party and their desire to be the dominant global power. And so what the United States needs to do is first is to wake up and recognize that China's activities, while well, this is a single destroyer transiting doesn't represent a significant military threat, unchecked and unprepared or unresponded to in 20 years from now or even sooner will present a great challenge to the United States' ability to ensure that our way of life and the freedom and liberty that we have can be continued. And China wants to upset that.
11: He added the U.S. used to be more balanced in its land and naval powers.
4: But now, over the last 30 years with the Gulf Wars, uh, we have lost this focus on naval power.
11: He said now America needs to return to that in order to be able to deter Beijing's further aggression and be able to fight and win a war at sea. Juliet Song, NTD News.
0: And before we head into break, if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. Coming up, 16 people died in a helicopter crash near Kyiv this morning, among them the Ukrainian interior minister. The cause of the accident is still unclear. And an escaped commander of Russia's Wagner mercenary group now seeking asylum in Norway. What's his story? More shortly, here on Entity News Today. A fatal helicopter crash in Kyiv today killed 16 people, including three children. Ukraine's interior minister and his deputy were among the dead, but officials made no mention of Russian involvement.
12: At least 16 people were killed in a helicopter crash just outside Kyiv on Wednesday, including Ukraine's interior minister. It came down between this kindergarten in the eastern suburb of Brovary and a residential block. Three children were among the dead, President Volodymyr Zelensky said, calling the crash a terrible tragedy. The pain is unspeakable, he said in a statement. Ukrainian officials said the cause wasn't immediately clear. They made no reference to any Russian attack in the area at the time. At the National Police Chief Ihor Klimenko confirmed that Interior Minister Deniz Monastirsky was killed alongside his first deputy, Yevgeny Yanin, and other ministry officials on board. Monostirsky was the most senior Ukrainian official to die since the war began. The French-made Super Puma helicopter was operated by the state emergency service. At least six people were killed on the ground, officials said, including the children. According to the regional governor, at least 29 were injured, 15 of them children. Air Force spokesperson Yuri Ignat said it could take several weeks at least to investigate the disaster. Unfortunately, the sky does not forgive mistakes, he said.
0: The Norwegian National Police said they want to talk to a Russian asylum seeker. He's reportedly a former high-ranking member of the Russian military contractor Wagner Group.
13: Andrei Medvedev, a former commander of Russia's Wagner Mercenary Group, who fought in Ukraine, said he has fled to Norway and is seeking asylum in fear for his life after witnessing the killing and mistreatment of Russian prisoners brought to the front line. Norwegian police said a foreign citizen had been arrested last week after illegally crossing the Russian-Norwegian border in the Arctic and was seeking asylum. His Norwegian lawyer said Medvedev was now in the Oslo area, but did not give details. Bruno Friesnes, who declined to say where Medvedev was fighting in Ukraine, said Medvedev told him the escape
10: was dramatic. He was chased, and they both fired shots. Dogs were sent after him. The way he tells the story, it's like a spy thriller, where you escape just at the last minute. He saw light in a house on the other side, and the ran there, and a woman came out. Kripos,
13: the Norwegian National Criminal Police Service, which investigates war crimes, said on Tuesday it wanted to question Medvedev. Medvedev joined the Russian army and served time in prison before joining Wagner on a four-month contract. He told the Gulagu Net Rights Group he grew disaffected after his contract was repeatedly extended by the group without his consent. He said he had slipped away from
10: Wagner after witnessing the killing of captured deserters. I know for sure about three cases where prisoners who tried to run away from hospitals after being wounded were shot dead. And ten people were shot on the training ground in front of prisoners who just arrived. It was done as a deterrent. They are traitors. They refuse to fight. Look what happens to them. Wagner
13: founder Yevgeny Prigozhin, a close ally of Russian President Vladimir Putin, said Medvedev had mistreated prisoners. He did not address the claims of killings or mistreatment of prisoners.
0: Rising energy prices and fossil fuel shortages have incentivized scientists to seek other forms of energy to power homes and transport. Let's look at some ongoing research being done in the UK.
14: This year, 2023 holds promises for new developments in the UK energy sector, like nuclear fusion, as well as new energy carriers like hydrogen. An Essex-based company has launched what it describes as the first hydrogen and electrically powered heavy goods vehicle in the UK. Teva says the hydrogen fuel cell system it has installed on a 7.5 tonne lorry has extended its range to 300 miles. Professor Anthony Kuczernak says the combination of batteries with hydrogen make the trucks viable.
9: The fuels do look very, uh, very expensive. But of course the vehicles are much more efficient, so, so you don't actually need as much energy to actually go the same distance.
14: Southwest England is now home to Europe's largest construction project, the Hinkley Point C nuclear power station on this 430-acre site in Somerset is where some of the UK's future electricity hopes are pinned. Now reaching over 100 feet high, construction on the first of two nuclear reactors is well underway. Hinckley's delivery director, Nigel Cann says, nuclear energy is currently the only way to produce power on a large enough scale.
15: Eventually,
8: we'll produce 7% of the country's electricity, which will be one of the largest power stations in the UK. Uh, the turbine that we, we, you know, one turbine per unit here is the largest turbine in the world.
14: Meanwhile, scientists at First Light Fusion in Oxfordshire are looking at a way to produce nuclear energy without the dangers of radioactive waste, like traditional nuclear power stations.
13: Charging. Over to you, Zoran. Fire!
14: The technology involves firing a projectile down a giant gun that eventually hits a target that releases energy. When the target is struck, hydrogen atoms fuse together to form helium, and the matter is converted into energy, which is called nuclear fusion.
13: This is the important part of our technology. So the projectile comes in, hits at enormous speed, makes a huge pressure. Actually that pressure is not enough for fusion, the target focuses the energy and boosts that pressure massively, and that's where we get the conditions for fusion.
14: It's still a very small amount of energy, but staff here believe it's the first step to showing that fusion can be created more simply and cheaply. The aim is that energy released could drive turbines to create electricity. The promise of nuclear fusion is enticing. If harnessed, it could produce nearly limitless energy to supply humanity's electricity needs.
0: In Paris, residents will have the opportunity to vote over a possible ban of electric scooters in the French capital. The city mayor says she's leaning towards a permanent ban on the motor vehicles because of the problems they cause. This would be the first electric scooter ban in a major French city. Entity's France correspondent David Vives spoke with a lawyer who says scooter drivers don't follow the rules of the road.
15: Around a quarter of Parisians use an electric scooter, according to a poll late last year. But what do the remaining three quarters of the public think about this way to move around? Electric scooters have been fished out of Paris rivers. The owner of an enterprise involved in cleaning rivers told us in 2020 that he took out dozens of these vehicles each time he sent in divers to clean the river. He said that among all the objects thrown into the scene, Electric scooters came out top. Two years later, the topic of electric scooters has only polarized those who use them and those who are against them. City mayor Annie Hidalgo will ask Parisians to vote on whether electric rental scooters should remain on the streets. She said she was against renewing contracts for them after too many cases of misuse and accidents involving them. Adrien Muller is a lawyer who helps victims of personal injury in Paris and provides advice for an association. He confirmed the mayor's concerns. It's anarchy.
10: I mean, as for today, scooter users respect the rules of the road less than other drivers. We see a lot of users who are two on one scooter, and this is something we don't see with other users. For example, we rarely see three or four people
15: on a motorbike taxi. He said scooters' users operate differently to other vehicle users on the road. Uh, Similarly, you can see that electric scooter users run
10: red lights more easily than motorcyclists, scooters or cars much more easily even. It's more like, let's say, it's like cyclists. We can also see that users often park their vehicles badly. And this is the case for electric scooters. They are not always parked where they should be. And then on top of that, they are often lying on the ground. They are not straight.
15: 22 people died in 2022 in France in incidents involving electric scooters. According to police figures, in 73% of cases, the incidents were caused by the electric scooters' users themselves. And police said the number of accidents involving these vehicles is increasing in the capital.
10: There is an adaptation time to using them which apparently has not yet been reached. I think users are finally learning to use it. We had the same. We had a bit of the same pattern with the free bicycle, the Philippe.
15: Residents in Paris will vote to decide the fate of the electric rental scooter on the 2nd of April. David Vives, NTD News, Paris.
0: Next up, a temple in Thailand attracts tourists from around the world. Many dress up in colorful traditional Thai dresses to visit the viral hotspot. And Greece prepares for a year full of tourists, but the global economy and the war in Ukraine could hinder the recovery. Stay tuned for more on that when we return. Welcome back. A temple in Thailand is drawing tourists from around the world. Visitors come to the site wearing traditional Thai dresses, which they can rent nearby. And today's Andrew Thomas has the details.
9: Wat Arun is also known as the Temple of Dawn. The site was bustling with tourists on Monday. Many were dressed up in colorful traditional Thai dresses. Reviews on social media and Thai historical TV drama trends have made the pagoda-like structures a viral tourist hotspot.
11: I think it's really special and so excited to wear the Thai clothes. This is the first time for me to wear these Thai clothes and come to this beautiful temple
0: and I think it's a really um, exciting activity for the tourists. It feels uh, quite overwhelming
7: actually because it's so deep-rooted in like historical culture and things like you really like realize how important and significant it is for Thailand and Thai women especially yeah
9: many Thai traditional clothing rental shops line the streets near the temple they offer visitors the chance to borrow dresses and take pictures during their visit to the temple rentals cost between four and twelve dollars for two hours depending on accessories
11: it's really nice, thank you. It's nice to sort of experience some of the Thai culture um, and have a chance to wear this, because in England, we don't really have clothes like this in our traditional wear, so it's nice.
9: Jatrada Kirdkum is a manager of a traditional clothing rental shop near the temple. She said that tourists visiting the temple helped boost the economy and increase sales in her shop.
0: It helps stimulate the economy. Sales volume increased since COVID-19 when we had nothing to do. We decided to rent this place to open a rental shop.
9: On average, Kurdkum's shop rents around 20 dresses per day. The tourism industry continues to recover worldwide following the pandemic. The outlook is bright as eager travelers try to make up for the hiatus. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: Greece is gearing up for another year full of visitors post-pandemic. But as the global economy struggles and the war in Ukraine rages on, the outlook for 2023 is far from certain. And today's Andrew Thomas has the latest.
9: Fireworks explode over the ancient Parthenon in Athens as Greece welcomes the new year tourists still come to the capital, even during winter.
16: The best part is all the restaurants outside, for me, and all the little shops.
11: What I love the most are the food and all of the people. Those are the things I love the
9: most about Greece. Greece has renewed national efforts to become a year-round vacation destination. The country hopes that hiking trails, rock climbing, and visits to historic churches can dampen the winter slump.
4: We have
8: laid a solid foundation with hard work for the product called Greece, with our hospitality, with unique tourism experiences, with multiple destinations and alternative destinations, with investments, large tourism investments, new hotels, new multinational products in Greece, and investing throughout the country in culinary tourism,
9: religious tourism, Greek tourism. Greece's tourism industry had a strong year in 2022, bringing in $3 billion more than it expected.
8: I always try, when I come to Greece, to see some new place that I haven't seen yet. I buy books, I see ancient things, museums. I like Greek food. I'm also into Greek music. So at some point, I will also buy an instrument. Those are several things that drew me here.
9: The tourism rebound is welcome news for Europe's southern economies. The recovery is also easing the continent's tilt toward recession. But Russia's war in Ukraine, rising inflation, and global economic uncertainty all point to a rough 2023. Businesses that rely on tourism don't know if the next 12 months will be boom or bust.
10: There are many threats around. Let's not forget that we have uh, a war in our continent. Uh, We have a very big uh, inflation in Europe and many countries are entering recessions and we have very high costs of running.
9: Greece, Italy, Portugal and Spain have the highest levels of debt in the Eurozone relative to the size of their economies. A healthy tourism industry could help keep Greece afloat in 2023. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: Next, this year's Miss Universe. She's American and she's the oldest winner in the competition's history. We'll bring you what she said while visiting the Empire State Building and more on NTD News. Famous works by the Italian master painter Vittore Carpaccio are on display in the U.S. for the first time. And the deep red colors of his paintings inspired a menu item. And Didi's Andrew Thomas has the details on the exhibition.
9: Vittore Carpaccio is considered to be one of the best of the Venetian Renaissance painters, but many haven't heard of him.
4: Right now, in this moment, we are in Venice, in the Dalmatian School of Saint George and Trifon. It is an ancient institution that is almost 600 years old, and the works are part of our treasure, our capital. They were done in 1502, painted for our school by Vittori Carpaccio.
9: The National Gallery of Washington, D.C., is hosting a major exhibition of the artist's work, the first outside Italy. Vittore Carpaccio, master storyteller of Renaissance Venice, will run until February 12th. The works were restored before being sent to Washington. American nonprofit Save Venice provided $400,000 for the restoration. The organization's regional director says there is great excitement about the painting's first international showing.
11: The idea for the exhibition um, started in about um, 2018. Uh, Unfortunately, it was supposed to be in October of 2020, but because of COVID, everything was postponed. And it just opened. The show opened in November in Washington on November 20th.
9: Probably more people have seen carpaccio on a menu than in a museum. Carpaccio is a thinly sliced raw beef often served as an appetizer. A Venetian restaurateur invented the dish in the 1950s. He chose the name Carpaccio after the intense red color used by the painter.
11: I think people are starting to get a new appreciation of, of paintings, Venetian paintings, from the very beginning of the 16th century, and also learn maybe where the word Carpaccio, where we're all used to it, meaning, you know, thinly sliced life beef or uncooked protein, and instead of that comes from the marvelous red colors that Carpaccio used.
9: The exhibit will move from Washington to Venice this spring, and will open at the Palazzo di Cala on March 18th. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: A Filipino-American has won Miss Universe. She visited New York's iconic Empire State Building Tuesday. Here's more from NTD's Andrew Thomas, who has the winner's thoughts about her victory. The new Miss
16: Universe.
9: Arbani Gabriel is the winner of the 71st annual Miss Universe. She's Filipino-American. Here's what she said about her heritage on Tuesday during the customary trip to the Empire State Building.
16: I feel the strongest connection. Filipinos are so excited. I feel like I'm carrying all the Filipinos with me on my shoulders and I just wanna represent how amazing we are. There's actually a big billboard I just found out about in the Philippines, everybody's sending it to me. Everybody's just so happy. I mean, it's just a time to celebrate Filipinos, Americans, Asian Americans. I feel so honored.
9: At 28 years old, she's also the oldest Miss Universe in the competition's history.
16: It's never too late. It doesn't matter what age you are, you should never feel too old. 28 years old, 40 years old, 70 years old. You can now is the time to start whatever you want to do.
9: Gabriel is a fashion designer from Houston. She's promoting her own line called Arbani Nola, and she makes sure to focus on eco-friendly designs.
16: Actually, the piece I'm wearing right now, my friend Renee from Houston made. He's a designer, and actually, if you see, these are like little plastic packaging pieces. I don't know what they're called, but he took all of these and just recycled them and made it into a fabulous outfit, and I'll be wearing a lot of upcycled and recycled pieces during my reign.
9: Gabriel beat 84 other contestants for the title of Miss Universe. Amanda Dudamel of Venezuela was the runner-up. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: And that's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you have anything to share with us. We're going to put it on screen and for podcasters, that's news.today at NTD.com. I'm Evelyn Lee in for Kevin Hogan today for NTD News, live from New York City.